This is the Permaculture Podcast. I'm Scott Mann, and you're listening to episode 1641, Regenerative Investing. My guest for this episode is Joshua Hughes, who joins me today to talk about his latest venture, Black Sheep Regenerative Resource Management, an organization that is using human-scale capital to invest in the degraded lands of Costa Rica, to restore them, and to generate financial abundance, not only for the investors, but also for the people of the community who call that region home. As a returning guest, we don't begin with his biography and background, but just get right to the conversation, which I'd like to go ahead and do with you now. On to Joshua Hughes. I'll join you again afterwards. Then Joshua, it's been a little over a year since our last interview together. I was wondering if you could give us a bit of an update about what you've been doing since then, and we can talk about this idea of human-scale investment. Yeah, well, I uh, spent the last dry season. Our seasons here are really December to April. That's when it doesn't rain. That's when we have a lot of people show up in the coast of the U.S. So right after we spoke, my really busy time began. And we, we had a couple of permaculture courses and events. We, had, uh, we went to a, a big permaculture-based event here in Costa Rica called Envision as a farm and sold a bunch of our ferments. And we, we make a lot of sauerkraut and, and sodas. We make uh, kefir sodas and lots of dosa. Have you ever heard of dosa? No, I'm not familiar with that. We, we take a rice and beans, which, which is what people eat a lot in this country. And I got a little tired of it after, after a few years, uh, three, three times a day. So we had somebody come into our crew that, that makes dosa, which is a southern Indian uh, fermented bread made from rice and beans. So we, we have been for the last five years working at festivals and selling ferments in our, in our, in our busy season. So we did all that. And, and this last year, we had a neighbor's farm, another farm open up. To need, uh, to need recovery, and they were about to sell it to another palm oil interest. So we, we engaged our, our new project. It's called We Are Black Sheep, Black Sheep Regenerative Resource Management. And we've, we've now, since we spoke last, acquired two new farms and started reforesting them and building agroforestry ser- uh, programs on those farms, everything from cacao to turmeric to, to just wildlife preserve. And uh, we've, we've, been, we've been rocking. We've added, we've gone from about... 20 acres when I spoke to you last to maybe over 400 now. It's been a busy year. That's quite a, a lot of growth. And that 20 acres, how long had it taken you to acquire that compared to this additional like 380 in a year? Well, we bought the spot for Vedergia uh, 10 years ago or 11 years ago now with a collective that we put together out of Oregon and Europe and Canada, a bunch of friends. And that farm has been developing over this time. And it's where we've been practicing and learning what would really work here. So uh, at Verde, we've t- we took 20 acres of what was destroyed cattle land and turned it into a, a really diverse agroforestry system and uh, a little village. We have several houses and stables and uh, we're building some, some more bamboo buildings right now. And this is where we, we host our tribe and our, and our events that we want to do. But what we learned there and the species and stuff that we have, we have about 350 different species of trees and fruits and, and medicinals that we've added to the farm. What worked best there, we've now started duplicating. So it's, it's made our jobs easier as we acquire more land and as we get more partners that want to do this with us and expand. We've, uh, we've been able to just take what we've already done and just duplicate it. So we're not, re- we're not trying to really go out and experiment with new products here. We're just expanding what, what's really worked well. And we're in a really tropical rainforest area that has been totally destroyed. The, the Putuscao region of Costa Rica was completely deforested about 50 years ago for 
cattle and tobacco. Philip Morris and McDonald's did their damage here. So what we're doing now is, is watershed protection and wildlife corridors and, and uh, mixing that up with the idea of small scale, uh, like you said, human sized, like small business sized agroforestry projects. And we've been enabling a lot of our friends and helping people get involved in this that maybe, you know, we're not looking, we're, we're not a bunch of rich people. We're a bunch of mid, middle class and lower class people that want to do good work. So we've come together in these collectives and purchased more land and in, in groups of 20 to 30 people, so no project gets too overwhelming and too big and too complex. And we're growing everything from, from sustainable lumber to, to medicinals for cancer treatment. And it's, it's flown pretty well. We have about 100 partners now on three farms. Is this kind of a social good organization, or do you see it as an investment from those who are bringing money to the project? Well, it started as a social good. This, the Verdenergia started as like a safety net for our, our tribe, a place that we could come and, and, and practice and build and, and have our kind of escape pod from, from the way I see capitalism in the current financial system, not just collapsing, but an eternal collapse, uh, inflation, uh, and just, go, just gobbling up our lives and, and taking away our savings. And so we, we did this place to have our own little, uh, our own little you know, escape pod and that and a beautiful reserve to come to when we want. But it turned into something more because along the way we started to recognize the value of what we had and what we can grow around us. And uh, from, like I said, medicinals to, to replacing the building materials that are brought into this country from abroad with local lumber and local clay and adobe type works and earth ships and all these things. So it started as a social mission, but it's turned into a bunch of small business businesses that are working together. And uh, our collective, We Are Black Sheep, has been coordinating that and coordinating land purchases uh, for our friends. And, and it's turned into an investment that really does work out. It's not just something that has to be a, a social project. We, we get about 40 times a return on every dollar we're spending when we do uh, these agroforestry plants. So that's, that's a 4,000% return? You can't print money, but you, can, you can't print money, but you can grow it. So, like, money does grow on trees, most literally. I don't know who said it didn't. It's maybe the only place it grows. Uh, <laughs> so, with a lot, of, a lot of the ways that people extract wealth from, from the world is, you know, from mining to just, just these things that are completely extractive. When we found, a ba- we found a balance here to do a regenerative work that keeps giving over 40, 50-year period. And when we're done, we leave a forest in our wake. So, we have certain crops that that wash across the land first. These really destroyed jungle lands are steep hills where cattle have been gobbling up the grass and, and erosion has been taking away all the topsoil. We had to do something to motivate ourselves out into these fields, to motivate someone both financially and physically to get out and, and do this work. So we have crops like turmeric or this uh, superfoods like sacha inchi, this Incan peanuts, really amazing. These are pioneer species that we go out and put in areas and, as, and those are very economically viable, too. They're in high demand in the world. There's not enough of those products. The market's very unsaturated for, for turmeric and, and sachichi and a bunch of other products that grow really well here in the tropics. So we're using those products, and we've developed markets over the last 10 years and ways to sell those through events and through partnership businesses in the north and here in Costa Rica. And those products give us a chance to get out and fix the land and then put in the trees that will help sustain us for the next 30, 40 years, from wood trees to fruit trees, nut trees. And as those wash over the land and grow, that gives the land here the shade and the water it needs to grow the real jungle trees that would never grow in the direct sun in this destroyed cattle land. So 
So this is enabling us through some economic drivers to go out and do the work that's required to create the scenario so that the natural jungle can come back. So in about 20, 25 years, in each spot we've touched, we get to selectively pull out maybe one out of 20 of the trees that we've, we've planted. And that, that sustains and regenerates those other 20, those other 19 out of 20 that can be there forever for the, for the birds and the, and the monkeys. And it's really, it's really viable. It's just not, it's, it's something that's been done a lot. The wealthiest people in the world are involved in forestry. The Koch brothers own Georgia Pacific. You know, Weyerhaeuser is a, a force. These people make hundreds of millions of dollars a year. But they're doing it in a very extractive way. And they don't tend to care what happens to the land when they're done. They just leave like a moonscape. Our plan is to do this in collective ownership and, and help extract, extract some of the wealth through the pioneer species so that we can leave beautiful jungle. And it's something we've been doing for 10, 11 years here, and we're copying a lot of projects that have already done this. But a lot of projects haven't integrated all of it. They have tree areas and they have agroforestry areas and they have, they have, uh, they have garden areas. But taking the permaculture model and blending that all together into the food forest model, we're, we're able to like... As we hit land, or as we use a piece of land or re recover it, you know, we can get a lot of value out of it in the short term, medium term. And then there's also a ton of projects that we're involved with with the government here where they pay, they pay us to pay employees and they give us free trees to do reforesting because there's a lot of grants out there if you're willing to do watershed work or forestry recovery here in Costa Rica. So it's, it's, it's integrating with a lot of different a lot of different programs, but it's at its base, it's a, it's a social movement that, that makes too much sense not to do. And our friends and family have, have built tree trusts now. We're building up, uh, instead of putting away just cash, I'm diversifying what I'm saving for my grandchildren by planting the species of trees that I know they can use when they need to go to college or travel to Europe or, or build a home in 20, 30 years. So it's just, just trying, to, trying to think about everything, being comprehensive about our, our farm, not just thinking about this season or five years from now, but what's going to happen with my grandchildren have our farm. And forestry and agroforestry is a way to, to really think long term. And that was what I was going to ask next, is that you're really taking your mention of pioneer species in this long-term plan. You're taking a holistic approach to it, not only to restore the land, but to be able to garner a living from it, as well as to pay farmers and others who are working the land. Yes, and what we're doing, instead of just buying land from people, a black sheep is buying land with our neighbors. So a lot of our land around us is owned by families, where it's passed down now to you know, 10 people own it together. And nine of those 10 don't live in the country anymore. They live in the cities. And we've had experienced extreme urbanization where I live. There's no opportunity now because the jungle was, was taken so long ago. There's, there's really not a lot to get from it anymore in the current model. So what we've done is we'll go in and find a, a farm that's about to sell to like a palm interest, which is invading our area, palm uh, oil trees, African palm trees. And they're planting on our steep hills just monocultures and spraying chemicals and ruining our watershed. So as that was starting to happen, this, these ideas came together that we had, to, we had to get bigger. We had to do a big zone four, zone five. Because our permaculture farm isn't an island. It's sitting in the middle of a bunch of other people's farms. And we were, were being hyper-affected by it from the runoff and the erosion. And so this, this, this became a mandatory thing. And the first, few, the first few projects were above us, were above our farm. So it was a... Partially, you know, selfish. We got to keep our farm protected. We don't want runoff of chemicals from these new invasive tree species that they're bringing in to extract our the last of our soil with <laughs> to send off as a as a terrible product. You know, hydrogenated palm oils for all the products up there. 
Uh, so it's not even really healthy what they're using this, the jungle for. So we, we had to come up with something that worked. And, and uh, when we go to a farmer that doesn't really want to sell, one or two of the family members wants to stay on the land, we can buy out the rest of the family and then, uh, and then also invest the capital needed to get through the first five, six years of planting and, and building up that little, the farm's niche so it can produce enough to get through the, the 20 years until it produces lumber. So it's, it's worked out to keep people who want to be here, here. Every project, we have 10 to 30% locals that own it with us. And that's, that's helping slow the, the moving of all this great talent and all this uh, amazing, like the, the, community, the community capital we have out here and all this experience has been leaving and moving to the city. So this is, this is a way we could use this business model to do another social, socially uh, responsible thing, try and try and put a halt to the emptying of the compo. You've mentioned lumber several times as a long-term product. Is that where you see a lot of value within this jungle system and really being able to protect the land is moving towards growing trees that then you can selectively harvest from? Yes. And out here, that's, that's season to season these days with climate change. You never know if your beans are going to grow and work or your, your fruit will even grow and work because there may be a terrible wind this year that comes in a month we didn't expect. So a lot of my farmer friends can't count on growing the traditional stuff that they would to make a living. Well, the trees here, they're pretty hardy. And a lot of the hardwoods, they're used to the long-term ups and downs of climate here and the rainy and the dry years. So when I was looking through species that a farm could really count on, uh, agroforestry and, and, and a mix of lumber, like I said, putting about one tree out of 20 that we plant as a, as a hardwood species, these are the resilient things that will that, that have a much better odds of succeeding long-term and having a stable long-term future. We, I love the fruits. I love the nuts as well to sustain the local markets and foods and stuff. But a lot of people, a lot of people are very conscious about what they eat these days. We, we all want organic food. A bunch of us do. We want it to be sourced nice. We want the families to be treated fair in the farms. But a lot of us are missing like where our construction material is coming from. That needs to come from the same, same, in the same vein, from a, from a regenerative friendly company that's doing it's that's doing good work so uh, i saw this as a natural step to permaculture is answering more than just food permaculture is about a lot more than farming it's about it's about how we approach almost everything and what i observed here was that we need building material and a lot of the material that's coming into a country like costa rica nowadays is plastic and and very destructive stuff that comes from overseas but we've got these amazing materials here locally that are unbelievable i was locking myself to log trucks when i was in oregon and I, I would have never thought I would cut a tree down and call it lumber and be happy with that. But being down here, I get to see how certain species are answering the questions of, the, of yesteryear's really bad lumber or um, forestry decisions. So this, this is just one way to really stabilize and, and make sure that our investment and our time is going gonna, is gonna to pay off by diversifying or biodiversifying is what I call it. We have our investments are biodiversification as well as just uh, financial diversification. And down here, the, di the different tree species, it's crazy. There are hundreds of types of tree species here that are amazing for building furniture and instruments. We have trees that are great for just pianos and guitars. And you can pre-sell a tree 10 years before it's even ready to somebody who wants to build pianos. So it's, it's, a really, it's just another great way to integrate the farm into the market and, and give it more, more options. So then you're taking investment from outside Costa Rica in. Will you also then be shipping the products such as the lumber and more durable goods 
outside of the country or are you going to try to keep those as local as possible? Most of the lumber is going to be used locally. I, I never had a goal to do a lot of shipping out of this country. I want most of what we do to be, a, to be a, about localism. So here the stores are begging, the, the hardware stores are begging for local lumber. This area, I'll, I'll send you some pictures from Google Earth, this area is just gone. I wish they, they wish there was lumber here still. So we have to do something to bring that back. Most of the wood our friends are buying here now comes from South America. So it's, uh, it's really needed here. The stuff that we're sending out of the country is really just the highest value and like turmeric oil, stuff like that, really strong medicinals. I try not to send the materials, the organic material and the water this country produces to other countries. So when we, when we grow a product like turmeric, I will take most of it and leave it here and just take the really, the really strong medicinal extract, uh, like the curcuminoids, and just send those to people in the States to add to medicinal products. So our mission was really never to send a lot of stuff out of this country. This, there's a thriving market here that needs products. There's a, there's a big middle class in Costa Rica. And right now, a lot of that money is leaving, going to other countries to buy the, the material for, from food to building their homes. So there's a huge demand here in Costa Rica for this. And everywhere, really, it's just, it's just we've gotten out of the habit of, of using wood. A lot of people use other materials now. And there was, a, there was a story in the New York Times a few weeks ago about this amazing new material they're discovering for building. It's called wood. <laughs> so it's being rediscovered that like using wood is much lighter weight. It's, it's, it is, if done right, wood can be a very sustainably done product. And most of the stuff we've replaced it with is, is going to outlast us all. Plastics and toxins that will be here for our great-great-grandchildren. So I, I love the way that lumber integrates into that organic experience of building and, and living locally. Yeah. And again, I was locking myself to warehouser trucks before I came here. So this is a huge shift in 10 years for me, <laughs> personally. You've kind of gone from one side to the other, but on your own terms. Yeah, well, and recognizing the value of these things and then wanting to really make it work for community instead of just for some bottom line or some, you know, corporate boardroom. Like this is each one of these projects we're doing is is really putting trust into an area and, and taking responsibility for keeping that area of the planet healthy while it produces and stuff. So I think if you're going to use any product, I think Derek Jensen talks about this, anything that you're going to use, you're going to use an animal for eating, if you're going to use a forest for building materials, once you need that and you're using it, it's up to you. It's, you're responsible for keeping it sustained. So I, I, when I'm wanting to build a home here or, or a piece of furniture, I... I need to make sure that just like I am when I'm buying food, that I'm, that I'm not leaving a terrible um, scenario in my wake. And so this, this, this had to happen in my life. I had to figure out how to do this. A lot of, a lot of when I first came into this, into farming and permaculture was about, about the food because that was such a big part of the shift needed in the States, at least as the food services and the amount of waste there and stuff. And I, I just kept, it kept growing. It expanded into, into more things, into energy. We grow biofuels as well. We grow our own soap, even. So it's like we're, it's it's really a comprehensive answers, and black sheep is our newest way of having a collective that can help farmers, local farmers that that can't either imagine how they're going to do this, finance it, or what a lot of the work that's done is building the markets and building the relationships, things that a lot of small farmers can't do. So we've we've just decided to take our talents and and make sure it it helps as many people as it can in our community. So this this was kind of a natural growth for our permaculture project. Now, is this providing jobs beyond 
just the farmers who you're working with to keep the land and work it? Yes, we have people in the, in Colorado now making medicinal products with our with our products, and we have people in the city that are doing marketing for us and people building websites for us. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's spiraling out into multiple jobs on uh, different levels. I. I, again, I spend a lot of time talking permaculture, and everybody kind of assumes that means you're digging with a shovel. But that's like one out of 20 or one out of 10 people in this process. A lot of people are, are uh, I have laboratories in the city doing extracts of our turmeric and isolating the, the chemicals in there that help cure dementia and stuff. So I need scientists working on this. We have, we have laboratories working in three different cities right now on different products we're developing. So, so it takes everyone. It takes a, it takes a tribe to run a, a forest and get it to market and all those things. And I have had a hard time even talking this way about it. I've only been able to say get it to market for the last year without like choking on my words. But, <laughs> but I can really see, and we've been, we've been seeing how, how this is necessary. And what we're doing is, is really a mission that has to happen. And, and for the years I was trying to get the forest built with a donation-based model, having people help and adopt a tree and all these ways we try and get people to get trees in the ground. None of that really was happening. It, it was slow, uh, you know, one acre, two acres in five years or something. So coming up with a way that really does, does help someone, like, store their wealth and, and not, just, not just have it a donation, but have it be a, a real, like, a, a pay-it-forward gift in a, in a small economy, uh, a locally-based capital, these things that, that, that trees can become and what farms can become, this, this has really helped make it happen. It's exploded. Like I said, we've, we've gotten 20 times bigger in the last 18 months with this model. So I, I, I love it. And we're not trying to be huge. We don't want to have uh, thousands of acres as, as one group of farmers, but I, our black sheep is here to like connect hundreds of farms so that we can collectively protect thousands of acres and protect our watershed. And next week in one of our areas that we reforested that has our, that has a mixed uh, agroforestry plan, we're, we're putting in cameras for the system, uh, for the the local EPA, and they're going to be tracking the wildlife that's returned to our area. So, so there's, there's just all these byproducts that come from, from doing this good social work, but doing it in an intelligent way that, that really does support community and, and a different economic model. Now, you say that you don't want to own thousands and thousands of acres. So Black Sheep is not taking a majority interest in all of these farms. You're just partnering with them to help them get started or do you also own some of the farms? Black Sheep owns between 5 and 10% of any project that it's doing. So we're vested in it with our partners. We're saying that we're going to invest our capital in it too because we believe in it. So it's, it's been something where none of the projects we have here, I, don't, I, I never want majority, like big majority shareholders in. Everything we've done has been broken down into like 5% increments or less. Because I really want to push. And we, it's been our mission to make sure this stays a collective it, it is very, it is very attractive uh, financially, and a lot of investors I speak to want to do their own huge projects. But that's really not what I'm into. I want to make sure that decisions are made by, by the most people possible. And in an area like where we're at, it's already been through what it means to have centralized ownership. That's why it's all destroyed. Someone saw the value in it. A few wealthy people own almost all the land around me. So one of our social missions that ties into it is to make sure land is owned by more and more people rather than fewer. So this helps, this helps with that, too. I get to make sure that there's thousands of owners in our watershed rather than three. So we have really vested interests on every level. It kind of returns the commons through the market and capital? 
Yes, and here once you get uh, like if we go out, we go out and plant an area, and we put in trees, and the and like a tree engineer comes and certifies that that one's going to be cut one day, and these five won't, and that one will. When we're done in 20 years, it by default, according to Costa Rican law, this areas that we've done can't be cut anymore. They have to be left alone because the density of trees. So by default, we end up leaving uh, like a reserve behind us because of the current local laws. So it's a uh, it's a way of ensuring that it ends up in the commons. Is this something that you see as replicable throughout Costa Rica and elsewhere, or is it just a, a hyper-local solution? Well, what we did is we made it something. We're, we've been making this a, a model that's easily duplicatable and that doesn't require like single, you know, an angel investor or something. This requires small groups of people that want to dedicate to it. They can take our model for free. I'll explain everything we've done. And, and do it anywhere here in Costa Rica easily, but up there as well. We have projects that are going to be starting in Michigan and in Oregon and California near the Redwoods. So we're, we're, this idea is, is easily duplicatable. And that's what we're in this for, is, is making a simple, uh, a simple model that can, be, that can be used by others. Our, our area is, is uh, not unique. We're, we're one of the sacrifice zones in the world, a place that big tobacco and big cattle decided to take everything it could from and then left when they were done and when there was no more to take. So I, I, there's plenty of sacrifice zones and areas that, the, that capitalism has used up and walked away from that I see as amazing opportunity now. Before I looked up and saw all the missing trees and was really upset, now I'm seeing how, how this can really motivate a whole new economy. There's a regenerative economy waiting to be unleashed uh, on the world and it's up to us to build smart, small solutions. And it's and it's and again, it's not just uh, it's not just for the heart and for the love of it. It, it this this is starting to bring in the, the types of people that I used to work with in the business world because it makes sense. And it's uh, in in a lot of uh, in a lot of tragedy, there ends up being opportunity to change. So I, I see this as a way to change. And people are looking for high tech answers to problems like drought and waters, like and dirty water. Well, low nature tech answers like trees do amazing amounts of work and. And you know, from filtering water to air to moving water into the hills from the from the for, from the ocean with the, with the way the hydrological cycle works, mm-hmm. the, I, I want to make sure that that we start recognizing all these things for the really valuable services they are, and then it it's going to make sense for business people once they can once it clicks. And and for me with this, everyone that comes and sees what we're doing ends up participating. Mm-hmm. Walking through a farm where there's thousands of dollars worth of food falling on the ground and being wasted. It kind of blows people's mind, minds. I don't think most people realize how much food isn't used and why. But where I live, there's like a small farmer. They can't just get a mango to market because everybody has mangoes in April. So they need to be able to dry that mango and make a powder out of it and send it to the city in, in the month when there's no mangoes and the market's different. So, so there's, a, there's a ton of wealth just, just being wasted in, in these areas. And it's wasted for a bunch of reasons. Lack of, lack of finance, lack of... Uh, the the know-how to rebuild these markets and bring these products to market like that's a lost art where I'm at and a lot of the a lot of the areas a lot of the rural areas have been losing uh, you know their best people moving to the cities and stuff so so uh, this is a way that we've really been able to to address these issues see the wasted resources and and make sure they're getting in uh, you know that it's, that it's benefiting the people who own it instead of instead of just being waste that's happening everywhere. That needs to happen in Detroit. That needs to happen in Los Angeles. You know, we're not we're not special down here. We're just 
we have we have our local solutions because of what we've practiced, but that that that's duplicatable based on whatever local solution might work for you. If you have the collective and the and the the organization to push things and make things happen, you know, revolution isn't magic. It's it's organization. It's years and years of organizing and relationship building. And that's that's what that's what's going to really truly bring a renaissance, not just a, a violent overthrow or something. That that won't work out for us, you know. Mm-hmm. So so I see I see the getting involved in nature and local tech answers instead of just just high tech or just apathy <laughs> will 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 bring us together and give us all real reasons, even if some of those reasons are selfish. I want to make sure that the energy that I've earned and saved goes to my grandchild. Mm-hmm. How do I do that? Leave it in the bank and watch inflation gobble it up? 7% a year, 10% a year? Throwing away my savings and my youth that I traded for that money? Mm-hmm. So I, I've been, I see trees and, and well-thought-through agriculture programs as, as pretty much the only way of securing my, my, the youth I've saved in the form of money. And I think a lot of people did like, like really discount, what, like think, think money is just like something that's always going to be there. And like if you have $1,000 now, in ten years, that thousand dollars is worth five hundred or six hundred in buying power. You, you see that long enough, and you start to realize that it's, it's not smart to save your wealth in a depreciating asset. So, getting getting in more diversified, saving my time and money in something like a tree and a diverse set of trees, and in, in, in not just in one spot, but maybe all over the world. This is a way of getting the commons, not just uh, not just as an abstract thing, but as a real solid way of controlling our communities. Now, speaking with you, I'm hearing all of the work that you're doing with this. Are there other people who are also picking up this mantle and doing the work, or is it still something that's very much that you're kind of directing through Black Sheep? Well, where I'm at, there's, there's very few people, so I don't see it here. There's a couple of projects an hour away from me, and they're doing similar things, maybe more based on the education. There's a place called Rancho Mastatal, an amazing permaculture school about an hour from me. They're doing similar things, but they're doing it a lot more with donations and coordinating like nonprofit work. And that's what I mostly see as kind of the nonprofit side doing what we're up to. So I wanted to integrate that with small business because I come from a small business background. So I'm, I'm mixing it with that. But I, I, and then I also see the big business approach where they're just growing trees and they're going to cut 100% of them down in 20 years and leave a cut down area instead of a forest. So bringing, bringing those ideas together somewhere in the middle or somewhere, somewhere in balance is, is, I'm not seeing that here where I'm at, but I'm, I'm sure it's happening. There's B Corps in the States that are starting now, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that brings me hope that people are getting beyond just the donation model and figuring out how to make these things make sense. Because most of my, my time when I was doing nonprofit work for forests, I... I spent more time trying to raise money just in donations. Now that I'm actually coming up with smart solutions that make my friends money, uh, I spend less time pursuing money, more time just getting to invest in the, in the projects we're doing. It allows you an opportunity to really get the work done because you're not spending so much time fundraising. Yes, and, and when you do fundraising with this, it's, it, you're taking in a partner, not just somebody who had some empathy because they saw a, a flyer one day and gave a few dollars in a donation. When I, liked, I, liked, I love the idea of having people vested in projects and owning them together. Because when you own a project, it, you care differently about it than you do if you just donated. There's something about that that makes you care about the outcomes in ways that you don't when you don't have as much into the game, if you will. Yeah, and or even if you do. like Some people make huge donations, but it's just like it's here and it's gone. But to actually have like title on a piece of land with your friends, to own something together with the group, 
and, and to have other people that are just as excited about your success as you are. Where a lot of business models are very much competitive, in this type of model, everybody that owns it together wants it to work and work together. So I, I, like, I like the idea, of, again, of like a political revolution coming, coming through the way we do business each day and how we relate to the companies we work with and who we invest with. I, I think investors should be much more responsible for what they invest, invest in. You know, if you invest in Coca-Cola and they, and they destroy a part of Colombia or murder, or murder uh, you know, union organizers, that should fall on the shareholders. They shouldn't just get the profits. They should also get the negative. Well, when you own, a land, when you own land with your, with your people, you know, if, it, if, if you do something to destroy it, it, you destroyed your investment. It's not just some abstract you know, uh, fiat currency thing. It's very real. So I, 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 love, I love getting people tied into their land base and into those commons with, with, their own, you know, with their own interests too, as well as the community. And I take it with this model, your mention of B Corps, there's something that I've been exploring in depth lately as a way to move forward within some of these more corporate structures as my work grows. And one of the interesting things about those is that you can work in language that allows you to resist buyouts so that you don't have to just seek profit. With this kind of a, a multi-shareholder investment process where you're all kind of holding the land together, are there ways that you can keep yourselves from being bought out within the structures that you have in Costa Rica? Well, the corporate model we have here, uh, we, we get to set like how many people it takes, what percentage it takes to make a change in the company. And so we typically set that you have to have two-thirds majority to make any decision like that. Anyone can sell their share if they'd like. But one thing we do when we tie so many people together in this, and, and, and it's not just investors, but it's people that come here, touch the land, plant on it, live on it with us, build homes, is that the odds on everyone in this organization wanting to sell at the same time are... are it's not going to happen. That's why we're trying to have it so diverse. Plus, the value is really pulled out over a long stretch. It's like a 30-year plan. So in, no, in, not, no, in any one year, in the first 20 years, it's not going to be really attractive to some millionaire hostile takeover. If someone wants to sell their share because they need to get out of it because they have a financial emergency or something, they can do that. They can sell it to a friend. They can sell it, we'll sell it for them. Black Sheep takes responsibility for that. But that, that's, that's why I like to keep each project manageable and small enough not to become some big bureaucracy, not to become really attractive to just to, to an extractive uh, industry. Everything we're doing is like, I listened to one of your podcasts the other day about, about slow money. And I, I love that idea of put parking money somewhere and it's slowing down. Not that it won't gain, but that, it, but that it's not racing around the world in this like minute by minute or gigasecond by gigasecond trade, you know, high frequency trading. This is, this is that slow money investment. So uh, it's, it's really more attractive to people that, that are willing to park a few bucks and let it sit and be there for their grandchildren. Most people don't care to have, you know, do hostile takeovers of someone's 401k program. It's, it's, it's not as attractive as some fly-by-night, you know, bubble company that you buy to sell the next day. This is something that gains value slowly every day for the rest of your life. And I think about that human scale of the capital is that if someone is in a place where they want to sell or they're having an issue, that you can just call them and be like, hi, you know, let's let's have a conversation about what's happening rather than it just being something that goes directly through the market. You know, if there's a, a large group of your shareholders are all coming together and saying, hey, we want to sell, you can find out why and what's happening. Yeah. And, 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 and you have a supportive group there to help you. And, and with what we're doing, like I said, it's, it grows really exponentially. A lot of the money we've invested is 40 to 80 times more valuable in 20 years, 10 years. So, 
So it's, it's, and, and also I'm not, we're not really taking on investors that spend a million dollars each. Most people who invest with us spend $10,000. So this isn't where they're putting their nest egg. It's where they're putting part of part of their nest egg. So, it, you know, it's protecting and diversifying their, their retirement. There's not a lot of people that this is do or die for. And that's one reason I wanted to do this in collective so that nobody would have to feel like it was just their project. Many people have started permaculture projects and they end up by themselves <laughs> pushing for years. And that is not fun. That's, that's, that's not the goal here. The goal is to create community around this as well. So I like to keep it small and simple for each person. So no, no one of us is going to you know, lose everything because we tried to put some trees in the jungle. So it's not, it's not as attractive for that kind, of, that kind of model. I would love it if the big business of the world and the investors of the world decided that forests were so important that they were going to take over all these plans and make it happen. That'd be great. Let's see that happen. And I think that's actually going to start to be an issue as, as we grow and as, as the world really recognizes that we're, we're cutting two football fields a second of forest right now, outpacing regrowth. Like this is, is going to be an asset or a, a resource that's going to be more and more precious and more and more valuable. So I, I think it will start to happen that way. So we're going to have to keep control over this by keeping this in the collective. That's why I, I want to push our model instead of just this top-down approach or this carbon trade approach or the national park approach that's just pushing indigenous and, 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 and people that could like use land and keep their families healthy and pushing them out completely. So in Costa Rica, if we don't do something to protect our land, the government here will eventually take over the land because the government owns 27% of this country. It's in protection, which is great. But when they protect it, it's no longer useful for the community. It becomes a, a hands-off event, you know? So national parks can be done. National parks are being done and I'm happy that the preserves are there. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not happy that like indigenous people can't keep their 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 hunting lands and things. And you know, so we we can control that by keeping it owned by us instead of just let, waiting until the governments of the world decide that it's time to protect it. Because they will eventually. Because this resource and watershed and from you know the way what bees are worth to what a tree is worth as a as a hold of a, a bank of water. These things are going to eventually be recognized by the business world and by the government as, as very important. So I want to get ahead of that and make sure that we own it collectively instead of, instead of letting them do it from the top down. I think it's a, a great idea, and I certainly want to follow up with you, you know, in the months and years to come to see how this is uh, working for you, what changes you make in order to continue this process. If somebody wants to find out more information, where can they find you? Do you have a website? all of this yeah we are blacksheep.org is the is the project it's black sheep regenerative resource management is the name of our collective and with everything that you've shared with us today i always like to provide an opportunity for any final thoughts so do you have any last words for the listeners i really just think that it's time that we take responsibility for our communities and there's there's a lot to learn out there and there's a lot to see and 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 uh take in in the world right now and the needs of the world and the needs of the environment and the needs of our neighbors but there's something about planting trees today, now, with urgency that will really pay off in the future as we discuss these things. So I want, I want people to have a serious urgency about, about what it means to protect our water, what it means to protect our forests, how valuable that stuff is, and do it with an urgency that, like it really matters. But I, I, I say this quite often, I, urgency but with patience too. Because I, I moved to the, I moved from a business mindset down to the forest to help help it grow. But now I watch trees grow, Scott. So you never know. That's not really for my personality. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'd say have have an urgency with, with a deep patience as well, and 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 do this work like it matters because it does. 
and let's expand all of our projects out into these zone fours and zone fives and the things we we learn and teach in permaculture this is a chance to to do that and so i, I really implore people to to get busy and act like it matters because it does well thank you for all the work that you're doing and providing these models that we can adapt to be able to make permaculture more accessible in the projects that we do so that it can move ever further from the landscape while still protecting the land around us while also investing in our communities and others. Yeah, I, I love the opportunity to help and, and, uh, and to keep taking these ideas and, and, and refining them and observing what works and what doesn't. Like that's the beauty of permaculture. And I'm, I'm thankful all the time that I get a chance to talk with you and, and bring this to more people and give people more faith in, in the process. And, and if people want to talk about it and, how, and learn how to talk about this better so that we can make permaculture a better option for people, a lot of folks have a hard time explaining why, this, why permaculture works financially. It takes so many years to convert land to organic. And, and once you grow a tomato, like why would they buy that rather than a, a Walmart tomato? So forestry and zone four, four and five stuff can really answer a lot of these financial questions that a lot of permaculture farms are are, having, are struggling to answer. So I really am, uh, want people to communicate about this and figure out how valuable our farms can really be to our communities and to our, our, our families in the future. And you're certainly providing a way for us to do that. And I look forward to not only what you're doing, but also to hear about these projects in the states that you mentioned. So do you have any information on those that I can connect with the folks working on those projects? I'd love to get in touch with them. Yes, I'll, I'll connect you with Sarah. She's in Michigan. She's our president for Black Sheep, and she's, uh, she's up there working right now. So we'll, I'll, I'll connect you with all the projects we're doing. Uh, we're looking for watershed protection, and the Great Lakes are, uh, are a very important part of fresh water for the United States. I think 19% of the world's fresh water is stored in the Great Lakes. So as, we, as many of our indigenous brothers and sisters are doing right now, up in Standing Rock, like fighting for clean water, like we're, we're with them and standing with them and and helping come up with those long-term solutions to keep water, keep water and forests uh, thought about, and and keep this stuff uh, keep this stuff front of mind right now while people are protesting and talking about it. Let's let's use this energy and and uh, and commit to more projects. And any anybody up there with a permaculture project, and you and you've got that dream piece of land right behind you that you've always wanted to expand into, let's talk about it and let let me help people do those things because. I don't just look for land. I look for people that are motivated to do things and then help them get those things done and coordinated. Well, thank you for joining me today and having this conversation because we'll certainly be able to connect more people to your work and get more projects like this started. Thank you, Scott. It's great talking to you. And that was Joshua Hughes of Black Sheep Regenerative Resource Management. You can find out more about that project at weareblacksheep.org and you can also see his original project, his personal ongoing farm at verdanahia.org, and you'll find links to that and more, including his first interview, in the show notes at thepermaculturepodcast.com. In cooperation with Joshua, together we're giving away a PDC at his farm, valued at $1,600, to anyone who donates $50 or more to the show between now and December 16th, 2016. If you'd like more information about that, complete rules, and how to enter If you're not able to donate at this time, as no donation or purchase is necessary, you can find out more at thepermaculturepodcast.com forward slash Costa Rica. Along with that, a friend of mine, Simon, who is located in Ontario, Canada, is looking for a natural building intern for the 2017 season. Simon has a lot of building to do on his farm, 
and could use a hand. So if you've got a background in permaculture and natural building, send me an email. I can give you some more information and get you in touch with Mr. Fletcher. After listening to this conversation with Joshua, do you see his model as something that you could replicate where you are and start reaching out to friends and neighbors and others in order to do regenerative projects like this? Or do you have a regenerative project of your own that you'd be looking for others to help you with financially or to help connect you with other resources? It's a really big picture what Joshua's presented, and I think that it could do a lot of good in the world in a way that current economic structures and systems don't allow for. But I only have the slightest introduction to this through the conversation that we had today. And so if you're working on something like this, I'd really like to know more about it. If you have projects that are gift-based or working within more traditional fundraising or corporate capitalist structures, how is it that you're raising money and achieving your goals, developing partnerships, business relationships, and everything in between? This is a side of our community work that I'm not real familiar with, and I'd love to know more. So please get in touch with me. Show at thepermaculturepodcast.com. Call 717-827-6266 or drop something in the mail. The Permaculture Podcast, P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. Wherever your project is or whatever it is that you're doing, spend each day creating the world that you want to live in by taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other.